Good morning. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me in the middle of your Bible to Psalm 24 as we continue our worship series designed for worship. God has made you, each and every one of you, unique. He has made you beautiful. He has made you fearful uh, and wonderfully in his own image. The point is, God has created you for himself. To know and love God and to be known and loved by God, that is such good news. As we are continuing this series in the Psalms, as we are mindful that God has designed us to do what we are doing, worshiping our great God, but it shouldn't end at the top of the hour. Our whole life should be a life of worship. All right, I'm sure if you lived in Orlando, you heard the news that an eight-foot king cobra is on the loose. Rest assured, good news. My heart is still beating, but I got him this morning, all right? Now, here's what happened. I went to let my dogs out this morning, and I opened the back door. Now, now, this thing fell somewhere from up in the, uh, the sill of the door, and you should have heard the thud it made when it landed on the threshold. And it started its way into the house. I acted very manly. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I mean, I was acting and trying to get that thing out. Kay's like, what's going on? It's a snake. Indiana Jones hated snakes. (laughs) I hated snakes. So I I don't know what to do. Now it's it's like on the threshold, right? And my dogs are outside, and I could tell that it was colored. I'm thinking, it's, it's it's not the king cobra, but it's a coral snake. I'm convinced. They're deadly. They're terrible. So I go around back, and I see what's remaining of the snakes. I kind of slither the rest of his way underneath the door. I left it there. No, I didn't. So I went back inside, and I got a broom, and I went out, and I, and I opened the door, and there he was. Oh. And, I, and, I, and I swept him out, and I tell you, that thing coiled up at me, and he was snapping at that vicious broom right there. It was... It's probably about this long. <laughs> Maybe not quite the size of my own. My, uh... <sighs> so if I'm out of sorts this morning, I wrestled with snakes this morning, all right? I killed them. I got them. I got them good. He's in three pieces right now, uh, somewhere in my backyard. For those of you who don't like that, I'm sorry. I was terrified, and uh, I got rid of them. So anyway. If I seem a little edgy, a little bit crazier than normal, I killed a snake, all right? All right, it may not feel it, but fall is here. And you know what fall means? Fall means that Friday nights, all day Saturday, all day Sunday, Monday nights, Thursdays, and if we could tape something else, football is here, huh? There's nothing like it. It is great, I agree. And how about them Gators yesterday, huh? Woo! Fourth and 14, go Gators. Okay, whatever. I never give, I never give the Gators any love. Is that not love right there? That was incredible. Anybody watch the TCU Texas Tech final? Holy cow, was that not an incredible ending the game? Absolutely incredible. I mean, all day long, it was wonderful. Um, but at this time of year, I don't know what it is. It's just from Friday night lights 
Do you remember your high school pep rallies? I mean, uh, trying to get everybody geared up for the big game against your big rivals and everybody piled into the gym and you'd be separated by classes and we'd all have the same chant. Did you have that chant? It was kind of psyching each other up. And here's how it went. We have spirit. Yes, we do. We have spirit. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like this, it's chant, we got spirit. Then, then the other class would say, yeah, we got spirit. Yes, we do. We got spirit. How about you? And we'd eventually be screaming spittle at each other. Like, we, but, and it ends in like, we got more. Oh, really? Okay. Well, I don't know if it worked to get us jazzed for a game. But now, listen, I'm going to link this to my sermon. Watch this, okay? We looked at last week, as we look at worship, how incredibly gracious is of God to call us to worship. Do you know the God who created everything? Do you know the God who created you? Do you know the God who holds all things together right now? Do you know the God who redeems and makes all things new? This is the God who calls you and me, calls his people into worship. And he calls, he says, you know, Come into worship just as you are. Don't worry about what you're wearing. I'm going to provide for you. Don't worry that you have nothing to give me that I need. I'm going to give you everything. And God graciously calls us into worship, and we respond. And the way we respond is kind of like, not like we have spirit. Yes, we do. We have spirit. How about you? But come into worship. Come as you are. And we actually call back to him. You come join us. You come join us just as you are. Come be with us is is our response. And, And that's what we call an invocation. As we look at uh, this week's sermon, we're going to look at the invocation, a part of our liturgy, a part of our worship service, where we are invoking the name of God. We actually respond to God's call. It's, it's kind of like an RSVP. I mean, God is the one who has invited us. And it's a strain RSVP that, that we kind of respond saying, yes, we will come, but only if you come. Yes, we will be there, but will you bless us? with your presence? Will you come into the assembly that that you have gathered? Will you come and would you be with your people? Okay, we looked at this last week. We said through this series, we're going to look at a part of worship, something like a call. This week, the invocation. We're going to look at what is it? We're going to look at how does it fit in the story of the Bible, the big story or the gospel story? And how does a psalm teach us or what does a psalm teach us about this? And today we're going to look at Psalm 24. First of all is this. It's an invocation. Uh, you've, you've probably heard it or seen it listed in a wedding. Um, and maybe you've seen it uh, at a civic event. Maybe even something like uh, uh, when the uh, city gathers in Maitland. They sometimes ask me to come and give the invocation. But really it's invoking God's presence. It's invoking God's blessing. For the congregation, it's a representative voice, mine or a worship leader, who is calling upon the Lord, our creator, our redeeming redeemer, and we're asking God to come and join us because he promised to. God, You know what God says? He says where two or more gathered his name, he will be there as well. So having been called by God, we respond by saying, God, come and bless. Come and be with your people. Come and comfort. Come and do that which only you could do in the name of Jesus. Well, that's what it is. It's really, a, it's, a, it's invoking God's presence. It's praying that God will come be with us. Well, how does it fit into God's big story, the story of the Bible? If you listen closely to the Bible, if you listen closely through redemptive history, this is a call, this is an echo that you'll hear throughout eternity. You'll hear God call out to his people, come and worship me. 
And you'll hear our call and response, come and join us. It's throughout the entire Bible story. It's throughout the entire gospel story, throughout redemptive history. And many times it's taken this form. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Oh, come, the God who is with his people. And now we sing as those who know that Emmanuel has come. We continue to sing, saying, oh, come back. Oh, come back, Emmanuel. Let's look at the big story of the Bible for just a moment. The Bible begins in Genesis with God, in the beginning God. This book is about God. It's all about him and how we can know and love him. And it tells us how God himself, out of nothing, created all things. It's incredible. And the capstone of that creation was you and me, made in his image to reflect who he is. When, when God looks at us, he sees himself. And he created us to know and love him and to be known and loved by him. That is such good news. But we don't get very far into the story, just three chapters, as a matter of fact, to find out that we rebelled, that, that we rejected God and, and we disobeyed him. And we basically said to him, you know what? We want our own story. We want to be our own saviors. Uh, we want to be our own bosses. We, we even want to be God and know what you know. And because of that rebellion, the story was forever broken in so many ways. I mean, it was, we were driven out of God's presence. And all of a sudden, uh, though we were created to sing God's praises and know and love and worship him, that song was broken and only God could fix it. But even when we broke that relationship with God, even when we stumbled and fall, you know what God did? You know how gracious God is? Immediately, not several chapters later, several years later, immediately God makes a promise. When man and woman sinned and they were hiding from God and God provided for them, God, the Father, well, he, he kind of gave out punishments for what was done. And he said, this is the new reality. But you know about this God? He made a promise. Here's what he promised. He promised that a seed would come. He promised that a seed would come that, that would defeat Satan that would defeat all of our enemies. And he gave that promise of a seed. And by the way, I love this this week. Do you know who the enemy was depicted as in the garden? Anybody know the story? It was a snake. And so what it says of Satan, the snake, it says about there's going to be this battle. There's going to be enmity between Satan, darkness, and God of light. And the seed that's to come. It says that Satan in darkness, it's going to nip at his heel. Just like that snake was, was nipping at me this morning. Although it was this big, I was terrified. But it says that Satan is going to be crushed by the seed to come. And the seed to come is going to be God himself. And the prophets would tell us, they would tell us of this seed to come. They, they made promises. The prophets are one, those who spoke for God. Those who heard a word of the God, they would stand up and say, thus saith the Lord. And you know the good news that they promised? They said that a prophet would come, one that would speak for God, that would be like Moses, even better than Moses. The promise was made in Deuteronomy 18. Of all the prophets in the Old Testament, Moses was unique. Moses is the one who, he talked to God face to face, scripture says, and he's called a friend of God. But God made a promise that, that a prophet would come that would be even better than Moses. How could it be better than Moses? A friend of God face to face with God. Well, the prophet would come, was God. 
The prophet to come was God in the flesh. The, the book of Hebrews tells us that in different ways, in different times, God spoke to us through the prophets. But in these times, God spoke to us in the flesh through God himself. God made a promise that that would come. He also made a, prophet, a promise a priest would come. A priest that would come that would be better than Aaron. And what the priest did, especially in the Old Testament, was a priest represented God to the people and the people to God. And specifically, a priest was in charge of making sure that a sacrifice was offered to God, to God for the people's sins. As a matter of fact, once a year, there was one high priest that would go into the Holy of Holies and he wouldn't dare go in without a sacrifice in blood. And, and he would go in and he would make a sacrifice for God's people. And there's a promise of a better priest to come and his name is Jesus and he is the ultimate high priest. And he's not only the one who who offers the sacrifice. He is the sacrifice. And the great thing about this sacrifice is, unlike the blood of bulls and goats, it's just a sign pointing to something that will work. Jesus' sacrifice really does work. And so we have this longing of, oh, come, oh, come, promised prophet, oh, come, promised priest, oh, come, promised king. In the Old Testament, there were a lot of kings, but the, the king that shines the most is King David. As a matter of fact, we're gonna read King David's psalm. I mean, King David, he's the one who takes on Goliath with a couple of stones and winds up taking off his head. I mean, King David, this incredible poet, you know what they said about David? He had a heart after God. And oh, what a warrior he was. And they would sing his praises. You know, this King David that God promised that through his line, another king would come, a better king. Because King David, I don't know if you know the story, he's an adulterer. King David, even the one after God's own heart, I mean, he, he was an adulterer. It was worse than that. He covered up his adultery with murder. And God promised a king that would come that would be even greater. His name would be Jesus. You see, the cry of God's people that all heard the promises from the very first promise of a seed and the very promises that another one's going to come, a suffering servant that will come. And through the one who suffers, this servant in Isaiah 53, through his wounds will be healed. That's a promise God made. So what did God's people say? They invoked God to come. They would say, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Oh, come, God, fulfill your promises. The Bible tells us in Galatians 4 that it was the fullness of time. It was the fullness of time that God delivered. It was the fullness of time that God made good on his promise that he did send the one. And it's amazing. He was the promised prophet. He was the promised priest. He was the promised king. He was the promised suffering service. He was all the promises of God in the Old Testament in flesh. He was God himself. It's interesting how it describes it. It describes it this way. In the fullness of time, it's like time had come to its gestation period to deliver, to deliver God's promises. And guess what God sent? He sent forth his only son. He sent forth his son so that through his life, death and resurrection, right for this, you and I could be sons and daughters. I mean, you and I could be brought into the family. As we sang, O come, O come, Emmanuel, he had to come and he had arrived. You see, it was that through the Jesus' life that we could really live. He lived the life we couldn't, the perfect life. It was through his death that we should have died that we died a death. It was through his resurrection. And there was like over 500 people that saw that Jesus had resurrected. He conquered death. He conquered sin. That life now reigns in Christ Jesus. At the end, after, his, after he had rose from the grave, 
the Bible tells us that he ascended into heaven. Acts 1.11 says that he ascended to heaven. He says, listen, I'm going I'm to come back. I'm going to come back for you just like I went. So guess what our song is? O come, O come, Emmanuel. It's always been God's people's song. O come, it's always been our prayer. O come and deliver a Messiah. He did. He's done great things. O come back, Jesus, and make all things new. We still cry out, Maranatha, which is a Greek translation of the Aramaic that says, come, Lord, come. That is our cry. It should be the cry of our congregation and the cry of our lives. Come into my life. Come into my presence. And let us see what Psalm 24 teaches us about this invocation, this cry of God's presence. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 24. It's listed for you in the bulletin on that long piece of paper. The words will be behind me on the screen as well. Uh, This psalm is rightfully, I believe, attributed to King David. But here's the reality. God himself has breathed his very being upon the writers of Scripture. And so this is, this is God's word, and the point is this. This is God wanting to speak to you today, his living word. Not to entertain you, not to just give you knowledge, but God desires to speak with you in a way to transform you and to give you life in Christ Jesus. So let's hear the word of the Lord, Psalm 24. A Psalm of David. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and all those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory, he may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Let us pray. And Father God, as this psalm ends with a, a beautiful chant back and forth to to have every door open to the King of glory. And the question and response, who is this King of glory? Who is this mighty one in battle? Who is this King of glory? And God, we see that your word and your spirit testifies that this King of glory is your own Son, Jesus. The one who has opened up and the only one who could open up heaven itself in a relationship with the Father. Oh, King of glory, we ask that you would come again and join your people. You've promised to be with us, and so we're invoking the name of Jesus in spirit, our triune God, to come and to join us. That God, that you would do that which only you would do, can do 
as you are with your people, that you would, you would give us ears to hear your voice, that you would shine your light into our minds so that our minds could understand your word, that you would lovingly give us hearts that beat for you, that would be filled with your love, and that God, that you would so tangibly be with your people that we would be able to walk out of here in a manner worthy of your name, Jesus, the name that is above every name, the King of glory. And God, the things that I say that are just my opinion are wrong, may those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. But the things that are said that are true and that contain the good news of Jesus Christ, would you use those things to make us more like your Son, our Savior, And it's in Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen. If you want to follow along with me this morning, there'll be an outline in your bulletin. And the first thing we're going to see is this, is that as we invoke God's presence, as we gather in his name, and we have the audacity to come by his grace and design, we have to be mindful of who we are asking into our presence. I mean, who we are asking to join us. Again, Psalm 24 wants us to make sure that we know the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. He's basically telling us and reminding us that we come into God Almighty's presence. We are asking the one who has created and owns all to come and to join us and to come and to be with us. Wow. What might help our mindset here is is Psalm 121. Psalm 121 is a a part of the Psalms uh, that have what we call the Psalms of Ascent. Uh, What it means by Psalms of Ascent, uh, this is basically the reality that God's people would pilgrimage at different times of year to Jerusalem. They would go to God's holy city, and as they went to Jerusalem, they would sing these very songs. It's awesome if you ever go there to Jerusalem to, to sing these songs as you're making your ascent up there. And as they went into worship, they were mindful who they were going to go see and who they were going to spend time with. Psalm 121, we sing this. Psalm 121, verse 1 and 2. Listen to this. I lift my eyes up. To the mountains, where does my help come from? My help comes from you, maker of heaven, maker of all the earth. Okay, I'm getting a little nervous singing that song. But you know the song. It was the reality is, hey, I'm coming into worship. And I got to be mindful of whose presence we're coming into and, and whose presence we're asking to come join us. We lift our eyes up to the Lord and we realize, God, it's you and you alone who has made everything out of nothing. It's you and you alone who own us. If we acknowledge it or not, you are God's by design. And for those of us by God's grace who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, we're not only his by design, we're his by purchase. He owns all things. And we have the audacity to bring and ask the King of glory, Jesus himself in in spirit to come and to join us. Whoa. He's promised to be here. Man. You know, when we realize who we're asking to come and join us, we have to ask the question. We must ask the question, 
well, who has the right to be here? I mean, who has the right to gather in God's presence? Who has the right to go and, and stand on his holy hill? Who has the right to go into to holy God's presence? And you know the beauty thing of, of Scripture? The only ones who will ever be able to stand in God's presence are those whom God himself qualifies. Because those whom he calls, you ready for this? He qualifies. And he qualifies us to stand in his presence. Well, let's look at that. The second thing. Be mindful of our qualifications to be in his presence. Well, they ask the reality. Okay, we ask them to come. It asks the question, who has, who has the ability? Who has the right? And it gives us a nice, easy answer. You ready for it? All you need to enter into God's presence is clean hands and a pure heart. That's all you need. It's basically saying this. Clean hands, do the right thing. Pure heart, do the right thing for the right reasons. Pretty clear, isn't it? You want to get into God's presence? Do the right things for the right reasons. It also says this. Don't lift your soul up to what is false. Probably saying this. Make sure you don't lift your soul up to any idols. It's basically saying, don't set your heart on anything other than God. It's basically saying, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's saying, don't put your family, don't put your friends, don't put your relationships, don't put your job, don't put your reputation, don't put anything above God. Have nothing above him. And if you, do, if you don't, well, your soul won't swear to what is false. No idols. But he says, well, don't swear deceitfully. Basically, who could come into God's presence? Well, just those of us that, that speak truth, right? Those of us who have clean hands, those of us who have pure hearts, those of us who have no idols, those of us who speak the truth all the time. How you doing? Who's qualified? Okay, well, let's let Scripture interpret Scripture. It's a good way to read Scripture. So let's turn to Psalm 15, because it's going to ask a similar question. It's going to say, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? More easy-peasy stuff here. It's he who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest, and who does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. So who qualifies? You know what the psalmist is leading us to? What's the answer? Who qualifies? No one. No one. Not one of you. No one. No one qualifies. No one has clean hands. No one has pure heart. No one doesn't have idols. No one speaks truth all the time. No one is blameless. No one. So we got a problem that only God can solve. And so what do we do? Throughout Scripture, the way we reproach God is he says, okay, if you're pure and clean, come on in my presence. None of you are. Repent and offer a sacrifice. That's what they did. 
Repent. Oh God, I don't come here with clean hands. Oh God, I don't come here with a pure heart. Would you please, I come here with a sacrifice. I will slaughter this lamb. I will slaughter, make a sacrifice that I'm asking and beseeching and begging that you will satisfy what I am not. I make a sacrifice. But scripture says we got a bigger problem because the blood of bulls and goats, it doesn't remove our sins. It never could. It only pointed to that which could. Here, you gotta hear this about God's story. You gotta hear this. You can't miss this. What God requires, God provides. What God requires of us, God provides. And the only way we could ever come into God's presence, those who are unclean, is if we repent of our uncleanness and we embrace the sacrifice that God himself provided. And the sacrifices of God's son, for God so loved the world that he would give his only begotten son, that he would slaughter his only begotten son, that his only begotten son would hang on the cross for your sins and my sins so that we can have life and forgiveness and life eternally in Christ Jesus. You see, the only hope for us to ever get into God's presence or ask him is if a sacrifice was made that God would accept. And the only sacrifice God makes that he would accept is his own son. How are you doing this week? Is this a good week? Do you feel deep down that there's somehow that you, you, you worship's good today because, you know, things are going good? You had a good week, right? I mean, you navigated the internet with very few hiccups and, and uh, you know, you helped some lady across the street and, and you, you maybe helped a neighbor and, and you got along well with your spouse and, and you did some right things. So you come into worship and you say, you know, I feel pretty good. I'm here to worship God. But, but some of you might be thinking, oh, crud, I didn't navigate the internet very well and I was really mean to my wife and I was kicking the dog all week and I took some things I shouldn't have and I come into worship service and think, oh, dang, I don't belong. If you had a good week and you feel like you belong, you shouldn't. If you had a bad week and you feel like you don't belong, you shouldn't. We belong because of God's grace and the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And because of that reality, we forever belong in the presence of God. Because God's sacrifice of Jesus was sufficient for all of our sins. So who may ascend the holy hill of God? Who may enter into his presence? Those redeemed by the blood of the lamb and the grace of God. That is such good news of the gospel. My hero Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, a a preacher in London in the 19th century, said this. He says, my hope lives not because I'm not a sinner, but because I am a sinner from whom Christ died. My trust is not that I'm holy, but that being unholy, he is my righteousness. My faith rests not upon who I am or shall be or feel or know, but in what Christ is and what he has done and what he is doing for me. What an incredible privilege we have to invoke the presence of God into this place because of the work of Christ. And he comes and join us, and you know this, in Christ Jesus, we belong. And we're home. In verse five, it says something incredible. It says, and, and God blesses us. <laughs> We've asked him to come and to join us as king of glory. And God blesses us who seek him. And he goes, you hear what it says? And he rewards us, he blesses us 
with righteousness. You can't miss this. He doesn't bless us because of righteousness. He blesses us by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus. And what he blesses us with is righteousness. The righteous shall live by faith. Let me make it even clearer. Our righteousness is like filthy rags in God's sight. So he's put all of our junk on Jesus. And the righteousness, listen, the righteousness he blesses us with is imputed on us by God's grace. And it is the righteousness of Christ Jesus. That's such good news. Whoever you are, wherever you've been, whatever your wait, week, month, year, life looks like, if you are in Christ Jesus, you are accepted and loved in the beloved. We have reason to celebrate and worship our great God. Lastly, be mindful that the King of glory is the one who opens all doors. He is the one who's, who's opened up heaven itself for us. It's very interesting. The last three verses, of this, 7 through 10, it's kind of a call and response. Open up, O gates. Open up, O ancient doors. Open up for the King of glory. And there's another response. Well, who is this King of glory? This King of glory, he's mighty in battle. He, he's victorious. Open up all things to him. Some are trying to figure out, well, what's going on here? It sounds like a pep rally going back and forth. Don't know for sure if King David wrote this. There wasn't a temple yet in Jerusalem. These are not the temple doors opening. They wouldn't open this way. They were swung out. But it's probably priests who saw the Ark of the Covenant out with God's people in a battle coming back into Jerusalem. And the reality of another victory that God has won and a crying out that God's presence is with them, this king of glory. But you see, all of that is just a picture of what is to come of Jesus. Because Jesus and Jesus is the only one who could ever open up the ancient doors. That most ancient door that was closed because of our sin between heaven and earth. Jesus, the king of glory, he and he alone is the one who opens it. I love in John 10, he describes himself. He goes, I am the door. I'm the door. I'm the way. And then he'll say in John 14, not only am I the door, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. There is no other way into heaven. There's no other way into relationship with God the Father except through Christ the Son. The only way we get in, the only one who can open doors is the door himself, it's Jesus. You know what this means is we should never have on our, our bumpers coexist. And although God has called us to live with, in, in unity and in purity and and loving kindness with those around us. We don't coexist with everything else where Jesus is one of many. According to scripture, Jesus is the only, the one, the way, the truth, the life. He is God in flesh come to rescue us. We either kneel before him as a king of glory or reject him. He's not just one of many. When people say, you, you Christians, you're so inclusive or exclusive. Say, you kidding me? Jesus loves every tribe, tongue, and nation. He's going to call to himself all kinds of people. But don't ever say for a moment that he is a way. He is the way. There's no other way that ancient doors get open except for God's grace and the work of Christ. And then the book of Revelation, at the end of the story, we have this, this image of Jesus that sometimes theologically gets confusing that shows Jesus standing at the door of our, of our hearts, if you will, at this door and knocking. 
we got to realize that, that Jesus not only is the one who stands at the door and knocks, but Jesus is the door himself. And we got to realize that, that Scripture tells us that we are conditioned apart from Christ. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. We don't have the ability to unlock the door. We don't have the ability to, to, to open the latch. Only Jesus can do that. And you know the grace of our Jesus? The grace of God is so much so that he will come and call you to worship he will enable you to worship and he will clear out anything that is in the way in Christ Jesus. And he calls, calls to you, say, just come as you are. Come to me. I will never drive you away. Have you opened the door to Jesus? I mean, that's the individual call in our life. Is, is there doors in your life? Is there areas of your life that are off limits to him? Does the king of glory only get a portion of your life, a portion of your soul, a portion of what's going on in your life? Remember, when Jesus asks for our heart, he's not asking for a little bit of occupancy. He's asking for ownership. He's asking us to lay our lives down and, and finding our lives as we pick up and realize by God's grace what it is to live in Christ Jesus. You see, throughout time in Scripture, we call out to God, O come, O come, Emmanuel. O come and make your life inside of us and make us alive in Christ Jesus. That call is still alive and well today. Have you answered the call? Have you opened up your life to Christ Jesus? And if so, you know the reality that life has come, but there's more yet still to come. And we still live with a saying, oh, come back, Lord Jesus, and make all things new. And how grateful we should be that he's qualified us to come into his presence at all. Let us pray. Now, Father God, we thank you for your son, the king of glory, the only one who's mighty enough in battle to, to battle with sin and death and to open up the ancient doors. The doors that now we have access to the God who is, the holy God of the universe. And who of us has a right to stand in your presence? Only those that you have qualified yourself, only those you've called, only those that, by your grace, are in Christ Jesus, that know that he lived the life we should have lived, died the death we deserve to die, was resurrected so that we could have life, and that he's coming back again. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come and make all things new. But until that day, may our lives be open to you, King of glory. May you have full access in this church in our lives. For your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.